friends and welcome to the show. In this episode, we feature none other than me. It's time for my origin story. And although it's slightly unnerving to be a guest on our own podcast, it was a lot of fun chatting to my pal Arnie and sharing my journey of how I came to be where I am today. I do go a long way back, uh, right back to the start of my leadership origin story and then through to my introductions to Agile and how that really disrupted the way I thought about work. I go through my journey with uh, continuous improvement, uh, the work I've done with failure demand, the power of tribes in a contact center and the stories they tell and how you can unify people around the work. Uh, lots of stuff on visualization around metrics to amplify the CX voice of your contact center. Um, how we used change visualization to improve our ability to design and deliver and adopt change in the contact center. And then some thoughts on on where to from here for the contact center industry as well. So I really hope you enjoy the story. As I said, it was lots of fun to tell it. Um, so without further ado, enjoy the show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another pod. Um, but today we've got a special one where we're going to be speaking with sean sean is now in the hot seat uh for today's pod sean how you feeling i'm feeling good arnie it's uh it's the tables being turned is uh, a strange feeling not normally on this side of the microphone if that's what you say but um no i'm excited to tell the story it's uh i don't think i've told it before um yeah other than in my own head so yeah yeah, yeah you're, you're gonna be fun you're, you're you're, you're usually quite, um, I don't know, by intention, whether you're more private with that. I, I feel that um, a lot of the times you, you like to shine the light on those around you. So it'll be very good to flip that around and, and shine the light on the man behind <laughs> the Agile Contact Center wheel. <laughs> the wheel. Yeah, the, having the light shine on me is not my favorite position to be in. But you know what? Sometimes you've, you've got to do it. That's right. Well, um, for, for our audience listeners, my name's Arnold and, uh, and I'm one of the podcast co-hosts with uh, Sean um, of the Agile Contact Center podcast. And in today's podcast, uh, yeah, we're, going, we're just going to deep dive on, I guess, Sean's career journey or leadership journey and how he's gone to the point of where he is today, leading the Agile Contact Center uh, business helping contact centers become more humanistic customer oriented destinations and i think that is a i mean personally a, you know being part of the company as well and being able to do the work um that, that we do uh, it's always something very exciting and um and i know there's a lot of people out there who, who listen to this and get value so i'm sure today is not going to be an exception um and i'm very curious as well because i personally haven't heard uh, I've, heard, I've heard bits and pieces of Sean's story, but I haven't heard all too much. So without much further ado, we should just get on to it, shouldn't we, Sean? Why not? Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Let's all right. Dive. I'd never heard of Agile before, and I started to, obviously, you work in ops, change change in projects pretty much impacts everything you do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you? yeah. 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 <laughs> And so I was going along to their project rhythms as a, as a stakeholder and I was seeing them do things. I think I, it was a retro was the first thing I saw. Mm. And I thought, wow, this is, this is really cool. This mm. just makes sense. 
people who are doing the work are talking really openly about what's worked and what hasn't worked. And I know, you know, back when you could actually be together and put post-it notes on a wall and they were, yeah, they were just having this really candid conversation about what was working. And I didn't, I had got no sense of hierarchy at all. It was, it was really, really awesome. And then they talked about what they could do to, to fix the, the problems that they saw. And this all happened really quickly. Like that whole process seemed to, it was very organic. It happened really fast and it just, it blew me away. And then they did a, they did a showcase right after it as well. And I, and that blew me away as well. So we saw working software being presented. I think we were building a mobile app at the time. Um, well, they started working on a mobile app and, and I just, I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, this way of working seems really, it just seems to make sense for these people. They, they seem to really be enjoying what they're doing and they, they I can see the value that they're creating and they're working through how they as a team can make make the work better and the first thing i thought and i I couldn't wait to leave that 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 operating rhythm or that that ritual and go back to my team because i i just thought this could work in ops i can see how this could work Mm. with my teams and then i just i just yeah it was like it was a, a bug that i caught and i just wanted to know more about how these rituals and how these teams worked and how i could implement some of that stuff with my leadership team so i started with my directly with my team and i think one of the first things i did was yeah i think it was a retro but then i i saw how they were they were using kanban walls as well yeah to to manage the flow of work and that was the next thing that i did we set up a kanban wall with the team and started to work through all the initiatives that we we were working on the stuff yeah. that we could control, I, we started to do that. And I was just, I was making it up as I went along. I, <laughs> I didn't really know, you know, I just, I was taking photos of the wall and I thought, okay, I can see how this all works through and I could see their standups and how it worked. And I just said yeah. to my team, look, let's just give this a go. We're working on so much stuff. I don't even know what all the stuff is that we're working on. And it mm-hmm. seems to, that we seem to be surprised all the time with how much we've got on. And we're constantly talking about, what we can't get done and our capacity and how busy we are. Mm. And we just spend, seem to spend all of our leadership meetings talking about all of this stuff, mm. but it's not, we're not organized in any way and we're constantly mm. frustrated and we don't seem to really be delivering much, yeah. you know? So yeah. why, why, why don't we just at least see it all? Wouldn't it be great mm. if we could just see it all and, and just let's just put it all on these cards and stick it on a wall and we'll work it out. Um, so, yeah, and I just, I love that part of it. Just the, even just facilitating that conversation was really good. I'd loved just learning more about each of these, you know, things that my team were thinking about wanting to work on. And they, they seemed to really enjoy it as well. It was quite a liberating process, I think, for them to kind of just that sigh of relief to go, oh, yeah, that really, we now all of us can all see how much there is. Well, we need to we need to do something about this. There's so much there, um, and so yeah, that's where it, that's where it started. That 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 I, re- I still remember that that first time we did that, um, and I don't, and I remember at the time when we did it, I thought, oh, I'm not really sure what to do now. <laughs> now yeah, we've got yeah, yeah. It's like now, it's, now it's <laughs> now it's all on the wall. I don't yeah, really have yeah. an answer. I don't have an answer as to how uh, 
how we actually make sense of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but but it but it didn't feel if that still felt okay because it was it was a start. It was at least it was, we're making yeah. we're making progress. So, yeah, um, yeah. So so take me. So you you get that all visualized, which is a great step, and it's mm. always. Uh, I, I like that light bulb moment that you were talking about, I think is, is great. But the moment when you put all the work up, I, I personally felt like when we first went through that sort of experience, it was almost like this weight lifted from us, from our teams where it went, Oh, so that's what we're, mm. that's what we're all working on. And, and it just meant that we could actually start working on the work and, and getting that moving. Yeah, because yeah, I'm sure a lot of people feel that exact same frustration. So, mm. folks, if you're listening to this and you're like you want to dip your toes, that's a great place to start. Mm. Um, is by just visualizing all the work, and then, and then you got to get to the point of what do I do with this? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so tell me, what did you what did you do with that? And I don't know, does this start leading into when you um, met Eduardo? Yeah, the, the Agile Contact Center, or or you know, did, or were there a few steps in between before you got to that point? There was probably a few steps in between, but it happened pretty quickly. And I think yeah. just going back to that, I, I think we probably still tried to just do do too much stuff. But I do remember, right. I do remember feeling that that feeling of feeling liberated. But I, f- I felt for the first time that it's not all, it wasn't all on my shoulders to try and right. so- resolve. Yeah. I felt like, oh, okay, team, we're in this together now because we're mm. we're just having this open conversation that that alignment that we got of all feeling like we're in this together we're all overwhelmed we've all got too much on but we're all gonna we're all gonna try and look at it in a different way and try this new thing and none of us know how how it's supposed to work and i was really honest i said like i've just been to a few stand-ups and they've got these i didn't even think i knew they were called kanban walls but you know, we put some tape up on the wall and just, we were just, I was just making it up. And, but that felt good because I wasn't, yeah, I don't think they were, they were expecting miracles and we certainly didn't, didn't achieve them, but it was, yeah, just that, I think that's what I'd love people to take away is this, Mm. just get into it without any expectation that you, that it has to work perfectly the first time or even, subsequent times yeah. you just you just yeah. have to just the starting is the the best thing and doing it as a team so yeah so I, from there i had a my, my hr business partner at the time he said to me hey if you're gonna play around with this agile stuff and you really think that it can help you need to go and talk to um this guy that i used to work with he, he knew nigel dalton He'd worked right. with him at the Lonely yeah. Planet. And so he said, you need to go out to REA and meet this guy, Eduardo, because he, yeah. like, he's way ahead of you. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, if you, if you can facilitate an introduction, let's let's do it. Yeah. So, so I went out there and, yeah, this really tall Spanish, Spanish guy greeted me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and immediately I was captivated, like most people probably are. And he you know, took me through the, the tour and team was having their morning huddle and we just sort of stood at the back and I watched and it was like just everything in my brain was firing. I'm like, this is, I just want all of this. This is so good. Like, yeah, you know, they were talking about the work, you know, their, their breaks, who was going to take breaks when they, and I, and I remember that, that day and I, and I 
I'm sure he didn't orchestrate this. It's just, this is just how it happened, but they were talking about one of their KPIs and how it wasn't really working for them. They'd had it in place that the, the target they'd set wasn't really working. And they just had a discussion as a team and they were looking at the wallboards and where it was at at that point in time in the day. And they just said, well, why don't we just change it? If it's not working, let's just change it. And so they just agreed at this stand-up to change it. And Eduardo was standing there and they didn't look to him to say, is that okay? Yeah. You were right with that. He, you know, he was part of, he was got involved in the conversation, but <coughs> excuse me, he, it was awesome. I thought, wow, this is, ah, this is just so good. This is what I want for all the people that work in the contact center that I work in. So we, yeah, we kept, kept walking around and he took me through the failure demand wall and um, yeah, talked me through that whole, you know, the Vanguard um, process. Mm. The concept of failure demand blew my mind as well. So I never thought about it like that before, but it was so simple. And that, that really tapped into this process improvement, lean Six Sigma mindset that I, you know, already had. I thought, oh yeah, this is, this is definitely my cup of tea, this stuff. I really like this. Mm. And so, yeah, we, we hit it off. We were obviously like two like-minded people talking about stuff. And I was, a lot of this stuff was, I'd shared some of my experiences and he was very generous in saying, well, try this or try that. And yeah, we just, that was, oh God, when would that have been? Let's say that was 2015. He and I became friends and would talk regularly and catch up and have dinner and lunch and all, all kinds of stuff. And yeah, I think then, then he left REA and, and went and started, I think, some of the times when I'd catch up with him was actually when he, he was in New Zealand doing his first with his first client and he'd yeah. be talk, talking me through what he was doing with them. And so just, yeah, this, I just remember this is a very generous generosity of spirit to sort of be imparting all of his wisdom yeah. on, on me. And I lapped it all up and stole all of his ideas and went and tried to put them in place at, at me yeah, bank yeah. and just, just kept just trial and error, just kept, kept trying stuff out. And we did the failure demand stuff and we, we kicked that off in the contact center. And just, just before, uh, in case there's any new listeners, we should probably talk just really, for those yeah. who don't know what failure demand is, but um, basically it's, it's way of looking at the calls or the work that comes through to your business unit and how there are, there's some of that, which you want to remove because they're things that your customers don't want to have to call about uh, if it's a call that, that we're talking about so we call that fairly demand and that's the sort of thing that you're trying to remove so if you look at those type of calls and figure out where in the system or where in your organization that's coming from then you can work to eliminate that and use that as your primary i guess tool of um, improving your customer experience and therefore your your um you're receiving more high value type calls that your customers want to make and that should be the purpose of a call center so that's a, mm. just a short but go listen to one of our old, old podcasts and you're <laughs> all about failure demand um, but that's just a quick short mm. uh, explanation but sorry so 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 come back um mm. so you you started to experiment um with it you started doing failure demand mm -hmm. or started looking at failure demand in your in your call center so yeah take yeah through from that, point. that was one of the most satisfying initiatives 
as an experience, it was one of the most satisfying things I think I've done in my career because like anyone who's, who's spent some time working on failure demand and, and the way that you start to uncover some of the issues, it's so empowering for the people that do the work because they're talking about this stuff all the time, like in between calls on their lunch breaks and their breaks, they're saying, Oh, these calls, I wish we didn't get these calls. And it's so frustrating. So to give them a mechanism, a way for that to actually get to a point where you can have the right conversation about it, to say, well, what would we do about these then this, this mm-hmm. type of call, what would we do about it if we we're going to remove it? So we set up a system across, was across 250 people, front office, back office, they all had a way of uncovering their failure demand. And then we brought that into a, within the contact center, within a central um, rhythm, uh, operating rhythm for them to review those and prioritize them. And that was run by, run by the, the, the frontliners. They'd come together and groom these lists um, every week. And then once a month, they'd come together and say, right, here's our top x and let's start to work through prioritizing and look look at the things that had already been prioritized and where they were in the process so they had they had a kanban wall that they'd they'd set up so that was that was awesome to see that go from sort of no no process at all to Mm. you know Mm. to uncover this stuff to stand-ups happening at a team level to you know them coming together and them them actually running this process themselves with no I mean, leaders would come in from time to time, but but they would actually then prioritise the failure demand that was coming through, and then we 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 then developed a way for that to plug into the enterprise project rhythm. So if there was some really big stuff that required investment, they could put that through to be prioritised into the program of work. Yeah. So so it was this really cool, good system that had been set up hmm. to be able to do that, and and it worked so well that the enterprise change team then adopted that and rolled that out across the whole bank as a way for all teams to surface the things they wanted to get fixed. Now they didn't call it failure demand in some of the other areas like risk and finance and so forth, but they had a, they had a way of saying, Hey, there's this thing we, we see either within our own system of work within our team or whether it's in the way that we work with other teams that we, we, we need to, we need to look at and address. And so, yeah, it was great then to see that rolled out across the whole bank. Yeah. But, that, that was probably the biggest, that was one of the biggest, I suppose, examples of where all of the stuff that I'd learned so far had come to life in a, you know, in a, in a, in a program of work that was sort of really far reaching and really had empowered people who do the work to have that, that real connection to it, that ownership over it that they felt like, and they, and they had a tangible way of influencing the outcomes associated with their work. So that was, yeah, that was really cool. I, I can completely relate with what you were talking about. Cause I remember the first time that we, cause I mean, we ran a really simple workshop and this is for anyone who's listening to this, right? Mm. We ran a simple workshop where we brought in some of the people in our center. We sort of just picked a few people who, who uh, often talk about these sort of problems and issues and are passionate about solving for it. I probably also note these people in your business or in your teams in contact center teams, are people who genuinely want to change and you can see it you know you can Mm. see people who who do little process improvements but often they're hamstrung because the problems that they're trying to solve for just aren't in their full control Mm. so often you can do these little tiny improvements but you keep going oh why do why do these calls keep happening or what you know why why do we keep getting these problems that come through well it's because 
is a wider issue which happens you know it's either a technology fix or it's a big process that involves multiple teams or it's a it's a front end interface with customers that's causing this problem and and that's why you can't get that traction mm. so anyway I, I thought that for anyone who doesn't think that's there it's definitely there it's just about asking your people and so we brought everyone in or the people that were passionate about this and we just ran an exercise of right on a sticky note <laughs> all the problems that you see you know we explained a little bit about what caught failure demand and, and high uh, and failure demand is and um, value demand but then we just got people to put things up on a, on a wall and, and all of a sudden you could visualize and actually see here are the reasons why your customers call and they don't want to be calling mm. and i had that same feeling where i went this is just this takes it to another level this is just this is magic now because <laughs> all these frustrations all these things that people sometimes move into uh, almost sarcasm like i almost feel like a lot of call centers sort of just go oh it's this type of call again you know typical like it becomes a bit of a meme really um, but <laughs> now it was like it was like wow like we're actually being productive about how do we start solving for this and it doesn't feel like such a big mountain to push mm -hmm. is there something about it and then you, you we then put it on a matrix on how much effort it was how much value would it be and and then all of a sudden you go okay well let's start working on some of these what can we do mm. who do we need to talk to and a lot of that becomes yeah. that stakeholder management which you were sort of talking about how do you build a system into the rest of the enterprise or the rest of the business aside solving for it depending on how big your company is yeah um so i think that's yeah com i love that i love that how there's a similar journey that we sort of go through yeah yeah um, for something like that yeah so you, you do that failure demand stuff and you know you see this this beautiful um i guess system that's in place now to start addressing for that and did were there any um well, I got two questions. One is like, what what did you do? What else did you do um, mm. that you know that you, that you feel like mentioning? But all, yeah. the other thing is like, what were some of the outcomes or the results that you saw, you know, from from changing these things or some wins that you got from doing that? Well, we we got so so. I will just say this: the power of that failure demand as well is, is we the, the team had grown and we and it was now um, the, the the back office function was was separate to the front of house and there was a restructure and the two teams came together and so we then started looking at failure demand between front and back office so what was going mm. to these back office teams that didn't need to mm. and that was really powerful because that that then because the again the, the back office teams were talking about it every day why do we keep getting sent these tasks they could be done at the front line or why why does it why does it have to go through this many handoffs to get to here or here so that was really that was really empower, uh, empowering as well because we were uh, up until that point. I don't even really thought about failure demand coming coming in to the the whole contact mm -hmm. center from from outside, but it it happens it happens internally. So we removed a, a ton of handoffs and actually started to move some of the tasks from well both ways. We were able to push some things from back office to the inbound team so they could just get it done. You know, first contact resolution on the same call, and then and and the other way there was some really complicated tasks at the front. Um, frontline guys were doing that we moved to the back office because it was just taking so long so that was really that was really cool and that led to the team coming up with a, we called it a service catalog and it it basically had all of our major servicing inquiries and they had they had they worked together they they came up with sort of a cross-functional team across 
the operations teams to say, what are our desired levels of service across all of these? So that when we have times where we've got, you know, we've got really poor, uh, we've got high demand and we have to make trade-offs between where we prioritize our precious resources, they had this they had this catalogue with these these ranges in there that said if service level gets to point X, then we'll pivot and we'll put our resources here. Um, but this this was all of them coming up with coming up with this. And they had had guidance obviously from the leadership team to help create the, the guardrails. But I suppose the, the message that I'm getting at it there is when you empower people to take ownership over the work, a task that we I would have once thought leaders need to come up with that. If you're going to set different service levels in times of high demand, that mm. you you then make operational decisions to deprioritize one set of customers over another, leaders leaders should be doing that and then telling people what to do. Yeah. This team had activated a part of their brain that normally you just switch off because why would you bother thinking about solving those kind of problems if you're just not given the opportunity to? They were then really engaged and, you know, I think through that process, a lot of them grew in terms of their capability to run an operational area because they were being empowered to think about what's driving demand when it gets really high, where do we prioritize all the resources? And then they'd have stand-ups every day to say, okay, we're now going to make a decision on where to put people. And we've already come up with the guardrails around where we'd move people from and to. So that was really, really quite beautiful to see as well that the you know, frontliners and, and team leaders making those those decisions every day. So that was, a, I suppose, a, another outcome of just that failure demand work that maybe you wouldn't anticipate the benefit you'd get from, but, but it's definitely there. And we also saw collaboration. So our engagement scores between our front and back office teams, that collaboration was at an all-time low before, before mm. we did this. Uh, and it still had a way to go, but it, it improved drastically because they were they were working together to talk about how they could improve that flow of work between the two teams. Um, it's just amazing. I just it, it's still every day now. It just it amazes me how important the work is to people and how people feeling connected to the work they do and the people that they work with. How how beneficial that is in in you know how people view the work that they do um yeah so I, I can't reiterate that enough for people listening give people the opportunity to to own the work that they do as much of the end-to-end -end as they possibly can and yeah that you'll just see their 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 level of accountability and engagement with the organization and again the work just go through the roof hmm. so yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there's, I think anyone, I mean, I we did, I'm sure others also experience, you know, often there's this front office, back office type uh, tension um, more often than not. And, you know, when they don't feel like that there's a way of being, of solving for it, or there's no system in place to start solving for it, it becomes this kind of, there's almost like this tribalism that sometimes mm -hmm. happens. There's like, oh, it's those back office guys again that are doing this. Or the back office guys, like, oh, it's the front office guys that don't know what they're doing and they just keep doing these things. But often yeah. it's not because anyone wants to do something bad. No one wants no. to go into their jobs doing the wrong thing. It's more of this usually a process issue or, or something in that system that's causing them to keep creating this problem. Yeah. So when they, if they can surface it, they can start addressing for it. Mm. And even if you don't solve it straight away, just by being aligned mm. on the fact that there is a problem to solve and that they can start working on it just 
just changes that, that shifts that mentality. Yeah. Isn't it? Just shifts that t- attitude. Totally. And, and there's something in that tribalism that I think you can influence because when you have work tribes, different work tribes, front, back office, whatever they might mm. be, they have this story they tell themselves about the other tribe. Oh, they just, why do they keep doing this? They just send us this crap or they do this. Why do... So so change the story that those two tribes tell each other by bringing the two tribes together and give them a way to talk about what what's common to them, mm. which is the work, and give yeah. them a way to solve some of those problems. Then those tribes start telling different stories about the work and it's more aligned. And, and it just, it's so, it's so, so powerful. That becomes the dominant narrative we're solving problems together rather than you're creating a problem for me and you're creating a problem for me. So that, that was a really good one. I saw, you know, these teams only sat around a corner from each other. Like they were located on the same floor yet. They, they were still divided. And you would think, you would think that that would be that, how could that happen? But it does because of the work. So make the work common amongst teams and it, and it has a very powerful powerful effect um but the other thing too we saw because people started to learn about how visualization works we saw uh teams visualizing the onboarding process so that they could they could track kind of the the new hires through that to you know to show show how people came through that process to optimize that you know everything was being visualized there wasn't there wasn't a wall that didn't have something on it there wasn't a window that didn't have post-it notes on it um, it was it was really really great to see. You know, we started visualizing all of our CX metrics as well. So it was sort of an extension of our daily stand-ups to talk about how the work was going to be organized. We talk about the CX metrics, um, all of our you know voice of customer data as well. So it was yeah, it was it was great, and, and that gave us more of a. We talk about you know, having a seat at the table with you know teams like marketing and brand and and even even with IT. You can then tell a, a more holistic story about what's going on in your contact center and the value that you then can play in influencing decisions across the organization um, is huge so yeah we we definitely i definitely felt a, a a big shift in over that that period in the in teams across the rest of the organization marketing in particular um at the time wanting to be far more engaged with the contact center because of the the information we were able to give them and the way we were able to tell the story as well, because it wasn't just coming from people like me. It was, it was team leaders and, and managers. And even, you know, we had people within the contact center who were sitting on projects, like frontliners that were sitting on working groups for projects because they wanted to hear directly from them about how this change would impact uh, that their teams and, and how would customers feel if we did this? So it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. It's really funny the way you talk about all this. Like I, I just see the same sort of patterns that happened in our call center as well. <laughs> you know, as we went through this transformation, that, that that's exactly the same sort of manifestation that was um, being created because yeah, all of a sudden the, the call center teams weren't viewed as a cost to the business anymore. Mm. That all of a sudden it was flipped on its head that actually these guys know what they're doing they're getting their work done, so you don't have to worry about their backyard. More often than not, a lot of teams are just like, oh, they can't, they can't get their backyard it's sorted. It was, we were sorted, you know, we were sorted in the backyard. We were now telling or getting, helping other teams to say, hey, how can we help you? Yeah. <laughs> like, how, how can we help you get your projects delivered? Because it's going to yeah. help us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Everything that we were doing was to help us, actually, because at the end of the day, 
if there's some problem in the business, some problem with the customers, it would just be felt by the call center. So it was in mm. there. It was always in uh, the call center's uh, interests to try to help other teams be able mm. to deliver better. Yeah. All the time. So, yeah, it's just funny how that that all plays out. In the same yeah, way. and it can happen in you know in any contact center that it's not like that today. It can it can happen there too with the right with the right the right focus and I suppose commitment to yeah just just having a go. But I also yeah. remember too that that then opened the door for us to think about how change more broadly was being done, if you like, to the to the contact center because we started to visualize change. We had these huge we call them change radars. So that's what Eduardo called them when I stole that idea off him. We had these huge <laughs> ones made up. And it was, they were, I don't know, a meter and a half across at least. And they were on, they were professionally done. We got the marketing team to go and get them printed and stuck on this, you know, I think it was the foam or something, whatever it was. But anyway, they went up on the wall and, and then we'd have project teams come and talk to us about where these these projects, you know, were in, in the process. And so for anyone listening to Change Radar, basically it's circle concentric circles moving inwards closer to the middle is go live further out is obviously further to go live and you can divide it up into you know different pieces of a pie and each mm -hmm. of those pieces is a change coming from a different area so it could be marketing could be it could be risk whatever it might be and then yeah, you just create a card for each piece of change and you stick it on the on the radar depending on how far it is from go live and which 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 uh, which theme it, it relates to, and you get the people who own that work to talk to it, and you you put your people in front of it so they can hear about it, and it's it, yeah, I mean it's it sounds so simple, but it and, it and it is, but when you have project people or change people saying we've got this project due to be delivered in two months, and it's going to involve a change to the website, and we think it's pretty straightforward, we haven't really got any training uh, organised, or we don't think we need to. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to go live on a Sunday night and then yeah, Monday it'll be, be live for customers. And then you, then you have all of your frontline people say, hang on a minute. <laughs> uh, sounds pretty simple, but what you're doing is you're, it's a, I don't know, I'm making this up. It has changed the interest rates for a term deposit. Okay, cool. So what does your comms to customers look like? What does the comms to the call center look like? Um, what, what is the change to the work? Who's going to update the work instructions? Ah. Uh, don't know we just kind of figured that you know you guys you, would do you that work it out. <laughs> yeah and you say okay yep we will work it out but let's work it out before it happens uh, rather than afterwards and it, you have a different conversation you can there's education both ways they start to educate the teams in the contact center about how change is delivered and what goes into doing that and, and vice versa to to adopt change effectively this is what we need and so again people are aligned around the work and what's needed to get it done so it's yeah, it was very, very powerful stuff. It, it really is. Um, and that's something I've been speaking a lot with clients recently is that whole how the change impacts the contact center teams. And, you know, often that, that gets misunderstood. But, uh, or it, it, it's understood, but it's not so much that people, there's, there's a malice in terms mm. of delivering the change. It's just more that, there's, there, there requires a specific type of thinking for what happens with call center teams that, you know, you need to make sure that there's how many people, 60, 70, 80 people who need to be aware of this change and they need to have, be armed with the right information so mm. that they can tell the customers the right thing. Um, but there's also how can you 
do things differently so you're not creating this huge additional workload to these core center teams yeah um and, and there's always a, a way to, to work about it but it's just about how can you create more of that understanding so i love that change radar yeah um, idea because it does create yeah it's simple but it it creates this connection between teams where they yeah. start talking through um the impacts and and then it becomes this 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 learning continuous learning process because all of a sudden they learn that then the next time something happens the change people are, are more aware or the project teams are more aware so they start doing things more in advance because it's easier mm. for them as well so they don't they don't do things ahead of time or waste their time doing the wrong thing and and vice versa the course and teams know how to keep those other teams informed or give the those teams more data that they need so they can make better decisions with how yeah. they deliver the project so yeah it's yeah it, it's and the other thing the other it is it is beautiful because it, there's a the human the human part of that is what i i suppose you maybe you're missing in all of that but the the tribalism thing comes back in as well it's not just project people delivering change to a contact center and then this story that develops around oh they don't care about us they never think about us to now they're talking to you know to arnie and they're, mm. they're de- now they're delivering change to Arnie because they're actually talking mm. to you about it and looking at you. And then you develop this empathy between each other about, oh, well, I better get this right because I don't want to let Arnie down. I know he's got such a tough job with his teams and service levels are really tough at the moment because you probably share that information now that you're actually looking at each other face-to-face rather than just being you're on another floor as a project team and it's just an email or something. It's just, it's incredibly powerful. I can't reiterate enough, just human beings working together, talking about the work, looking at each other, developing empathy and understanding. And then the stories change because all of a sudden the perception that these other teams don't care about us and how they're doing what they're doing completely changes. Um, And if nothing else changes, it's just they walk back to their teams and go, don't worry, guys, they do care. They've got our back. They're going to get this right. It's it's just, it's amazing. It's that, it's that trust that gets created. At yeah. the end of the day, if there's anything you take away from this podcast, it's that we're all human. <laughs> yeah. And we need to create more humanity yeah. um, by, you guess what, communicating and, and getting on the same page. Mm. So let's go back to your sort of journey to where you are now. So yeah. you, you do that work with the contacts and the teams. You're seeing this awesome stuff that's happening. Just, I guess like it sounds like a real cultural shift, right? Mm-hmm. With what's happening. So yeah what what happens you know what leads you to this path of and it's a pretty bold path i I would probably say as well to to now go i'm going to own my own consultancy business rather than you know staying safe within i guess this corporate um, Mm. role corporate structure yeah so talk me talk me through that Okay, well, so I suppose there was a there was a bit of a stepping stone between there. So I, I left my operational role to work on a project full time as a representative, I suppose, of the business, if you want to say, in inverted commas. And I did that for about a year and a half, and that was that really immersed me in an agile project delivery, quite a formal, True. structured agile project delivery, which I yeah. really enjoyed that experience, and yeah, like learned even more about how to work in an agile environment, but in a very different mm. way from an operational sense to a, you know, the, the, the deep knowledge of, you know, um, developers and testers and working with, with PMs. That was, so that, that's what I did bef- after I left ops, still working at, at sure. MeBank, but working the project. Now that, that project 
uh, unfortunately, you know, didn't didn't finish. Was was ended um, hmm. somewhat abruptly. But um, so it's then I star these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But for all the right reasons, so it definitely was the right the right thing to do. Um, but I then I then left left MeBank and I had this I had some time to I had some time to sort of step away and think about what what I wanted to do next and you know went and did some some travel went and went and saw the the Reds play at Anfield went and see went and saw them win a European Cup final in Madrid so for Very the Reds jealous. Reds fans out there that one's for you so that was great and but I had this I, I suppose the fog cleared and I had this epiphany and I thought you know what what really makes me happy in the roles that I've done and it's and, and I spent maybe I didn't spend enough time working on the work I was I was doing hmm. you know part of a big ops role you, you you do lots of stuff maybe you don't really enjoy like it was a whole bunch of risk stuff that I had to do and I didn't dig that um <laughs> from the finance stuff but you know, there's always parts of of a role that you you know wish you could outsource to someone else, but you can't. Yeah. But I love the stuff where I was working with teams and I was talking about failure demand, or we were visualizing things on a wall, or we were having the daily stand ups, and we were really focused on making the work better. And so I thought, well, obviously, knowing Eduardo and the work that he he's he he was doing at the time, talking to him regularly, I thought, well. Maybe that's what I want to do. Maybe maybe I could go and do that. But I really want to work with contact center teams because I think there's still such an opportunity there within the industry to to really reinvent the way they work. I'd seen I'd seen the opportunity. I knew what was possible, and I knew so many teams weren't working in that way, and and ultimately weren't the people that worked there weren't weren't getting the best out of the people. And I thought the industry, re- I, th- I still do. I think it really does need. A revolutionary change or, or a reinvention in a lot of ways um so i spoke to eduardo and said hey i've i think i know what i want to do and he said you want to come and work for me and i said yeah kind of but i i want to i want to feel like i've got some real skin in the game i don't just want to go and work for someone else so we yeah we landed on me me coming in and, and running the, the contact center business um taking a, an ownership stake in it and yeah really you know learning about how to run a business as well as um actually doing the work so yeah that's that's how that that started i thought i'm going to take this leap of faith i'm going to going to back myself to say that you know i can i've learned enough to go and impart some of this experience and wisdom if you want to use that word wisdom on others yeah. Yeah. um and that's where I find myself today. And here we are. Here we are doing on a the, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> sharing this this wisdom out into the world. Yeah, it just got very meta all of a sudden. It yeah. Just <laughs> very on the podcast talking about the work we do, but me being interviewed on the podcast talking about my journey. Yeah. Very very cool. But it's been <clears throat> it's the most rewarding experience. It really is. I could, Working with you guys, the amazing group of people at New Twenty One, learning so much. I'm still on a massive learning curve. Um, you know, even things like this, the podcast, this get, creating a brand, getting the brand name out there. You know, creating content. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's all new. It's all still very new and, and exciting. And working with teams is the 
you know, doing this kind of work to help them, seeing them when they, when they see the opportunity and they start to realize, they realize it, it, it through, you know, a stand up that they've done or they're, you know, they go through a, you know, a 90 day planning cycle and they, they have that moment that I had where they see all the work and they go, Oh, what? That's, well, that's a lot. And I kind of, I can connect with that because I was, I've done that. I've felt that, that feeling, but now I can actually, because I, I also didn't know what to do and they're looking at it going, I don't know what to do, but I've been through enough of the cycles now that I can, I can say, Hey, well, why don't you, you could try this and they start to try. Yeah. And it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly rewarding to see teams kind of have that, their own aha moment and then start to work through how they can make work better in their contact center. So uh, as we, I guess, start drawing a close to this pod, um, I, I'm interested in hearing, I guess, and for, for all our listeners, I'm sure they'd be interested in hearing as well. Um, I guess what, I guess, learning or advice you might provide to other leaders mm. um, who are maybe earlier down the line or, or sort of wondering if there's a better way for the core centers or, or just learnings that you've got as you, you know, in your experience leading um, teams and, and starting to go through this process. But my leadership advice would be if I could have gone back to when I had my first branch manager gig, it, I would have said to myself, just, just be vulnerable. Just, it really, because that's what got me. That's what got me into the situation that I was in early on, where I was, I just wasn't being myself. So be vulnerable. Just admit, admit when you don't know things. Um, I think one of our previous guests said said something that was that really summed it up. It's you're better off being, was it? But be a, something about being. I can't even remember what it was now. So it's, it's a very memorable quote. But it's, but it was about being, being the best version of you rather than trying to be a second rate someone else. Yeah. I think that's what it was. So, that's so not don't, a bad quote. <laughs> don't try and, yeah, don't try and be, be this persona. And yeah. we all, we all play roles from time to time, but you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be true to yourself and be authentic because people will, people will appreciate that because they see that in themselves. They see the fallibility, the mistakes, the, the vulnerability. People can relate to that. What they can't relate to is, and they see through it. They see you being something that you're not. And hmm. um, so, so that, that would be my biggest piece of advice. Trust yourself, trust yourself to just that you work it out, that the mistakes that you make and regardless of how that might look or how you might feel are going to ultimately be very, very good for you in, in the long run would be my, would be my, my, my advice there from a leadership perspective. Hmm. And I think from a, for, for contact centers, it's probably similar that you you need to like try new things. If you're a contact center leader and you're thinking, well, I've grown up leading contact centers in this way, hmm. but something in the bottom of my stomach just says there's, there's a better way of doing things. Like the way that we're having performance discussions with people, maybe managing them to, to metrics that just don't seem right. Um, then try, try something different. Like try just tr- almost anything, just try anything different. <laughs> but um, th- th- there is a better way. There is definitely a better way for contact centers to run. And I think 
the more that I've been doing this this role, the more I'm seeing there is a shift. I think there's more and more people that are thinking about doing things differently. And I hope that the all of the things that have happened this year, the massive disruption that was caused in the contact center industry that most teams now working from home will be enough of a disruption that but that when we all can go back into an office, we don't just snap back and we go back to doing it like that. I hope that it, it's been enough of a disruption that leaders have seen that there are, there's a different way. They've learned through trial and error of how to trust their people remotely, how to, how to run teams effectively remotely that they, that they think, yeah, you know what, that there is a better way. And I've learned enough about myself as a leader to be able to back myself that I can lead differently and that we, yeah, we, we see a we see a very different contact center industry in you know a year's time. Beautiful. Well, Sean, that's probably a good place to wrap up today's podcast. So thank you so much for being so I guess open about mm. your your origin stories um, with with all our listeners and and with myself as well. So thank you, Sean. Pleasure. But, but well, we covered some some beauties. Uh, you know, within all of that. Good. So to all our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, if you, if there's any questions that you have, let us know. Um, you can reach out to us. We're on, we're on LinkedIn. Uh, we're on, we, you can find our website. You can contact us. Uh, we've got notes in the description as well about how you can get in contact. If you have any other further questions, we do have a course that we do as well, not to, get salesy or anything, but if you do want a bit more structure or some framed um, a framework behind how you can lead your teams better, there's also, you can you can do that. Um, but otherwise we also, yeah, put out a lot of content on our mailing list too. We won't spam you, but there's always value add. So if you'd like to hear more and, and be the first to know about things that are happening in our space, um, like events or whatnot, um, yeah, go, go sign up on our mailing list. But otherwise, again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye for now.